do what you have commanded and to go and preach the gospel to every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God, that is our job and that's what we are here to do. God, we praise you for who you are. We worship you for what you have done. God, we magnify you because you are a holy God. As Pastor Bart comes to bring your word, Lord, I just pray that you prepare our hearts to see you, to know you, and to love you more. Lord, I thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. What a great song to introduce us to our text today. Join me in Matthew chapter 7. I want to thank you for your sweetness and your generosity. Giving Sherry and I time away, it has been a great joy and a refreshment for us. And uh, just a wonderful time of relaxation. I also want to thank you for the so many sweet ways that you gave us um, just a, a sense of appreciation during Pastor Appreciation Month. Sweet cards and letters and emails and gifts and goodies. And it's just been wonderful. I came in today to another card and a gift bag at my door. And uh, just you are so kind and generous. And I want to thank you on behalf of our whole family for your love and your graciousness. Um, I want you to join me in Matthew 7 today as we move through this text. The key verse is verse 12. And so I want you to focus on that for a second. And as our outline comes up, I want to break the text into three pieces. And they're important in their division because they're saying something particular to us. So let's just read verse 12 by itself. Look there, Matthew seven twelve. Therefore, however you want people to treat you, so treat them. For this is the law and the prophets. And so the, the text has three parts. I want you to focus first, and the outline will come up and share. I want you to focus first on the therefore. Okay? So there's a, there's a therefore. So let's look there. Anytime you see the word therefore, you need to ask a question. What is it there for? That means that the text that is about to be presented, the statement that's about to be presented, has its roots or its origin or its understanding or its meaning or serves as the conclusion to the text that just preceded the therefore. So anytime you're reading through the Bible, you hit the therefore, mark it, and then go up from there and say, okay, what does this relate to? Well, it relates really to the whole Sermon on the Mount. But it relates particularly to verses 6 through 11. The last three Sundays, the two Sundays that I preached on chapter 6, and then Steve wonderfully shared the text from 7 through 11, we were dealing with some things going on that Jesus was making plain in chapter 
7 verse 6, I said to you that verse 6 is not about not giving the gospel to people who are offensive or rebellious or rebuff you. That's not what that's about. When it says, do not give what is holy to the dogs, do not give, cast your pearls before swine. What we said that that text means is, is we don't go to the world, to the lost people, to the godless people, to the people who are far from God, and ask them for an appraisal of the truth or an appraisal of us or an appraisal of what is right or to value us. We don't do that. We don't look to them for appraisal. We also don't look to them for approval. We don't go out into the world with the holy word, the pearls of salvation, and say, we want you to approve this message. You've been around all these political messages, just washing through your life, uh, came back after two weeks to these stacks of political ads in my mailbox and seven or eight political messages on my answer machine at home. And always you get in this uh, statement or you see it on a commercial, this message was approved by, and whatever group or person that approved it, we're not going to the world for that. We're not saying to the world, I want you to approve our message or I want you to approve us. We're not asking you to appraise us. And also we're not asking for acceptance. That was the third thing we talked about. When we covered verse 6, we said we're not going to the world to say, accept us. We know that you'll just take us in. We're not going to the world to find that. And then we also, the fourth thing was applause. We're not looking for applause from the world to say, oh, good job, you Christians preaching that narrow gate gospel. They're not going to do that. And so we spent two weeks on that, talked about how the individual shouldn't seek that from the world and how the church as a whole, shouldn't seek that from the world. And Steve followed up talking about this asking and seeking and knocking and how rather than going to the world for what we need, we have the privilege of going to a loving, gracious, generous, heavenly Father to ask, to seek, and to knock. Asking and being answered, seeking and finding knocking and being allowed entrance and accepted. And so we go to our Heavenly Father for that. And so when we get the therefore here, it's based on a willful decision that you make not to go to the world for appraisal, approval, acceptance, or applause. And a willful decision in faith to turn to God through Christ and to ask for what we need. And to seek in Him what we desire. And to knock at His gate and know that He will open through Christ and through faith in Christ and let us in and be accepted. And so what is about to be said is said to a group of people who've already dealt with those other two things. They've settled where they're going to get their appraisal, approval, acceptance, and applause. They're not going to go to the world. They're not going to go to people for it. They're going to go to God. And in so doing, asking and seeking and knocking God is going to graciously, better than any human father ever can do. He's going to give. 
He's going to let seekers find and knockers come in. And so now he says, because of that, the therefore. In other words, what is going to empower what he asks of us in verse 12 is going to be premised on the fact that you have already dealt with six in your heart and dealt with seven through eleven in your heart so that your appraisal comes from God alone. Your approval is from God alone. Your acceptance is by God through Christ alone. And your applause is that what you look forward to on the day that you enter His kingdom and He looks at you and says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your Master. That's when we will get Applause from God. And so he says, therefore, having dealt with these two things, you're going to get it from the world, you're going to get it from God, you reject it from the world, you receive it from God, now you are ready to deal with people. You're ready. Apart from that, you're not ready to deal with people because if you don't deal with this, you're going to need something from people that God alone can give. And you're going to use people to get what only God can give you. And so until you're free of using people for your appraisal and approval and applause and acceptance, so you're free. You can't do this next part. I can't do this next part. But when you have through faith in Christ, then you step into a new realm of how you deal with people and now you can actually deal with people on a whole new level, a whole new plane. And that's why he gives the instruction after the therefore. So the second part is the instruction. He says, therefore, if you get this first part, I'm going to tell you what you can do with that. I'm going to show you how to use it. Here's how you use it. Because you have a loving Father who gives you an appraisal that is true by His Word and by His Spirit, by His grace. And He tells you, you are a sinner and you need Christ. And that appraisal causes you to turn to Him alone for approval through faith. Him alone by accepting you through faith. Him alone by applauding your faith in heaven, then you are ready to deal with the people in your life in a new way. And so He sets you up. And He gives you an instruction and He says, okay, here's what you do now. Because you're saved, because you're redeemed, because you're a new creation, and because you are satisfied in Christ and your significance comes from Christ and your security is bought by Christ, you can now deal with people without using them. You can deal with them from a new vantage point. Rather than you needing them, you see their need for God. And the way that you assess them and size them up is not what they can do for you, but what God can do for them. And so you completely treat people different. And so, that's where he's at. And then he gives a conclusion, a summary. It's like, that's a whole outline. Can we go home? Well, I want to tell you how. But, but you get the summary because he says, here's the law and the prophets. Everything that Moses was giving you in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, it's here in this redemption that you have and how it changes this one thing called 
relationships. It changes your relationship with God. Everything that the prophets wrote about, yes. Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Hosea. Yeah, this is what they were talking about. Everything that they said was about you being connected to God as your heavenly Father through the salvation of the Messiah. So that you receive from Him the satisfaction and significance and security that He gives. And then you now treat people in a new relationship. And so He says, that's the summary. You do this, you get the Old Testament as a whole. You got it. Jesus summarized it one other time, same way. Somebody said, Jesus, what's the greatest command? And he said, well, the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second one's just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Upon this, all of the law and the prophets hang, like a, like a nail that they hang on. And so he said the same thing. Right relationship with God makes people have right relationships with people. If your relationships with people are malfunctioning, it's not the people's fault. There's something between you and God that has to be fixed. And so, here, Jesus says, this is what we're going to do. We're going to treat people differently. We're going to be so radically different that you're going to shine through this. This is how you're going to shine. People are going to know that you are of Christ because you love one another and you love them. You're going to be seen as a relator, having relationships first with God, then with people. So we get into the second part, and here's kind of how we can navigate it. Okay, let's, let's ask... How did Jesus navigate this? He's our example. How did Jesus navigate people? How did he come into the situation and navigate people? Well, there were three things he took into account. Let's start with the first one. Number one, he started by assessing or understanding their feelings. Everybody arrives in an encounter carrying feelings. There's no encounter we have with anybody that we don't have feelings. Sometimes they're good feelings. I just got back from vacation. have a lot of good feelings that traveled home with me. The beach and the bike and wonderful time with Sherry, just relaxing. And it was fantastic. Good fishing. And I just came back. I could just spread joy. That's easy right now. Because I brought some feelings home. You came here today with feelings, didn't you? Don't you have some feelings? You do. They're all over the map, aren't they? When we have a crowd this big, aren't our feelings all over the map? Yeah. So some of them are like, Woo, baby, I got in my team one yesterday and I'm good. Sometimes I come in to preach on Sunday morning and it's like everybody took depression plus the night before because their team lost. And I come in and I want to preach and really and people are like And then what's bad is when some of you have one team that beats some of you others' team and you're looking at each other. What's up with that, Sean and Steve? (laughs) Yeah, and if you're from Florida, y'all killed the dogs yesterday. But anyway, um, everybody has feelings. Now, one of the things that Jesus always did, 
and that we must always do is come into every encounter knowing that the person you're meeting already has some feelings going on inside them. Something's already happening. And they can be all kinds of things. I expect people who've had, had, who have been abused to feel that. I expect lost people to act lost. I expect sad people to be sad. In other words, when we encounter people, we have to take them and meet them right where they are. Sometimes it's in brokenness, sometimes it's in happiness, but always their feelings are having a great influence on their encounter with you. Look through the ministry of Jesus. You have in Matthew chapter 8, you see Jesus looking out on the people and it said that He was moved with compassion. His feelings were moved because of their feelings that they were downcast and distressed and they were just like sheep without a shepherd. And so as Jesus encountered them, He took into account where they were. They were downcast. They were distressed. They were like sheep without a shepherd. So if we're going to treat people as we want to be treated, the first thing is all of us want to be considered for how we feel. Everybody does. When you show up into any conversation, in any relationship, the worst thing that you can walk away with is saying this, that person didn't care how I feel. They just did not care. So there has to be a sense in us when we encounter people that we look and know and assume and understand that they are arriving at that encounter with feelings. And that we have to take those into account. And we have to have our feelings not guiding the conversation, trying to make them feel something. We have to have our feelings adapting and adjusting for where they are in that moment in their life. That means that it's not about us. It's not about me in that conversation. My brothers and sisters, sometimes the reason we turn the world off is we only have conversations that are about us. The best conversationalist is the one who knows how to listen. They know how to hear the other person's needs and feelings. And they're able to listen for those things. And Jesus teaches us that all through His ministry, that there was a sensitivity and a compassion. Look at His encounters with lepers. He knew they were outsiders and He knew that the one thing that lepers never could feel was the touch of a clean person. And so what did Jesus do? What did He do? He touched them. Jesus, the cleanest being who's ever walked this earth, touched them. Because that was what they longed for, was the touch of a clean person who said, I will come down to where you are. I'll meet you where you are. I will touch you where you're at. And I will engage you with what you have. And so if we're going to treat others, we need to assess their feelings and take it seriously so that the conversation is not about us, but it's about them. But underneath those 
feelings is something else that Jesus always took into account. I'll use this word, their failings. When I say their failings, I, I want to make sure that you see the broad range of what I mean. The failings that they personally own and the failings that have been done to them. Everybody arrives at their feelings having been conditioned by certain failings that either they're guilty of or someone else is guilty of and place those upon them. Those who are misused or mistreated come into a conversation and have feelings that have been conditioned by the failings of another human being. If you take two children from two different homes where in one home the hand was used to smack somebody on the head and the other home the hand was used to reach out and pat the head and pull in close and you take those two people and you stand them in front of you and you do this one will lean away and the other will lean in because they are conditioned by the failings of their own or the flesh of others Jesus dealt with this the woman at the well He was so kind and gentle to her in her failings. Long before he confronted her failings, he offered her his whole self. He met her where she was and he said, if you just knew who you were talking to, you would ask me and I would give you a drink and you would never thirst again. He took her where she was in her failings It wasn't that he ran from her failings or hid from those failings, but he knew how to deal with them sensitively. Her feelings and her failings, her feelings about men, her feelings about Jesus, her feelings about Jews had all come at the hands of her own failings and the failings of multiple others so that Jesus is assessing her saying, I see, I see what you feel. And I know the failings in you and I know the failings around you. I know how the Jews have treated Samaritans. I know how men have treated women. In fact, I know how the five guys you've had have treated you. Jesus knew. And so he took into account in this conversation the feelings that she has, the failings that she had either done or experienced. And so his relationship with her, if he's going to treat her the way He wants to be treated, if He is going to teach us that we treat people the way that we want to be treated, we come into every conversation, every situation, and every encounter, and we say, I know they're arriving with feelings just like me, and I know I like my feelings to be taken into account. I know that they're arriving with failings just like me, whether it's my own failings or the failings that people have done to me. And I know that I want people to take into consideration in relationships to me my own weaknesses and the the things that I have suffered at, the weaknesses of others. I want that. And so, just like I want to be treated, I want to treat them. And that's what Jesus is saying. But he doesn't stop there, and this is the most important thing. This is the thing that I want you to carry home. 
I want you, when you have an encounter, I want the first thing you say to yourself is feelings. Will you say that with me? Feelings. Every encounter, every body, I want you to say it. Because they're arriving with some feelings that, that you need to be ready to deal with. Sometimes they're not intended for you. I've met people and what they were spewing out was not intended for me, but I was just the closest person to their proximity. And I was the first one who encountered them after their feelings had been ignited. And do you know what? Jesus has taught me to love them and not hate them. He's taught me to to know that people in situations, there is a sense in which they're arriving in my presence with things beyond my comprehension. And I need to be ready to deal with that. Because I don't need from them acceptance. Because I don't need their approval. Because I don't need their appraisal. And because I don't need their applause. I can only address them by what God has to offer them. Because I don't need anything from them. And so I can love them. But there's one more thing. Their faith. Listen carefully. When Jesus encountered people's feelings, when He encountered their failings, He navigated everything toward one end. And that end was that everybody, I want you to know this, everybody has faith. It's just a matter of where they're putting it. Everybody's trusting something, someone. Everybody's got their trust rested either in themselves or in some created thing or some idea, or in God through Christ. Everybody has faith. And what Jesus always did was He always tried to navigate the conversation, the situation, and the relationship so that He could understand their feelings, understand their failings, and guide all of that to Himself, which is not what we're trying to do. We're not trying to guide them to ourselves, but to Christ Himself. And so as we assess, we have to let feelings and failings be secondary or tertiary, third, to faith. Because it's not just enough to know how they feel or to care how they feel. It's not just enough to be in touch with their failures or failings or how others have failed them. That won't save them. But their faith can Their faith in Jesus Christ can save them and give them that appraisal they need, that approval they need, that acceptance they need, that that applause that they need. They can turn and get it from God. And so the thing that becomes an issue is their faith. Now, I want you to see how Jesus did this a couple times. Because He cuts through and makes sure to get to the issue of faith in every encounter. So with the woman at the well, he moves her to the issue of faith. She brings up these things. She tries to divert, but Jesus plows on through and offers herself as, himself as Messiah to her. So that her faith can be placed in Him. Her failures can be overcome. 
Her wounds can be healed. Her sins can be forgiven. And she can enjoy the favor of God and know that she is fully accepted in the beloved Jesus Christ who died for her sins and was raised from that. She can turn and do that. And so faith is the core issue. Think about how he navigated Peter. Peter, he was a guy that wore his feelings on his sleeve. You have many interactions with Jesus, and we call these Peter the loudmouth sometimes. But there's one particular instance where Peter, he expresses his feelings. Jesus sits down with the disciples in Matthew, I think it's about Matthew 16, and he sits down and he says, guys, here's the plan. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, into the hands of the Gentiles, in the hands of the Romans, going to be delivered up by the Jews. He's going to be crucified. And Peter got up in his face and said, that'll never happen. And Jesus, dismissing all Peter's feelings and his failings, said, Get behind me, Satan. Because you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of the flesh. When Martha and Mary were having a house party, a little Rubbermaid party, little Tupperware gathering for Jesus, and Jesus was coming by, and He gets there, and Martha's in the kitchen trying to get it all look right, and everything just laid out, and Mary's in there at Jesus' feet just receiving. Martha barges out, hands on hips. I can see her saying, do you not care that my sister has left all of these things to me? And Jesus cuts right through her feelings and says, Oh, Martha, Martha. And this is King James time. Thou art encumbered with many things. Isn't that a great quote? But really only a few are necessary and truthfully, just one. And Mary has chosen the better part. What's happening there? Jesus cares about Martha's feelings. He cares about her weaknesses. What is her weakness? Looks like she's kind of into perfectionism. But He cuts through that because Martha needs one thing that will satisfy her soul. She needs Jesus. And so He says to her, just one thing is really necessary. And so when Jesus encounters people, He gives us a beautiful pattern. A pattern of assessing and caring about their feelings. A pattern of making sure not to ignore their failings and the failings of what has been done to them. But He always goes to this one thing. This is what Jesus is interested in. Saving faith. You say, Pastor Bart, I'm not so sure I'm following because... If I, if I'm just having a, if I'm, if I'm wrong, I don't want anybody to tell me. It's just none of their business to give me one of those Martha, Martha talks or to get the behind me Satan talks. I, that just doesn't seem like how we ought to treat people. Listen carefully. If you really love people, you will care more about their eternity than their now. And that's why Jesus always went to the eternal things. When you hear the story of the rich man and Lazarus and you hear him in hell, in agony, in the flame, all of a sudden he cares about relationships. And he says, would you send somebody 
to my brothers and tell them this place exists. When we really love people, we really do care about their feelings. We really do care about the failings of their own heart and those that have been done to them by the hearts of others. But what we most care about is how God has orchestrated, listen carefully, God has orchestrated, please do not miss this. God has orchestrated all of their failures and the failures around them and all of their feelings to point them to Himself. God has primed the pump of salvation with people's circumstances because He loves them. Remember the story of the man born blind? Master! Who was it that caused him to be born blind? Was it his parents or him? Neither. But that the glory of God may be revealed in him. In other words, God had allowed slash caused a man to be born blind so that he could know Jesus. And so everything that's going on around you in every relationship, every feeling that people have and every frailty and failing they're dealing with, God, the master orchestrator, is doing this. He's priming them for their need for Jesus. And so He's readying them for reception, for salvation. And He is good always. That's why He's called a loving Father giving good gifts. So, now, how do we do this? And I'm going to summarize it really quickly. Let's bring it up. Number one, we communicate these things through our welcome. How we receive people, no matter how they feel. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 5. He said, if you only greet the people who love you, then you're no better than the lost people. The welcome that you give by your disposition of how you navigate difficult, high-strung, strong-feeling people, the welcome that you give them, your welcome is the introduction to a conversation even when they're nasty. I was sitting in restaurant one day. I was in uh, Cracker Barrel. And um, I was just sitting at a table by myself. I was traveling alone. I stopped to eat. And uh, I was in there. And an African-American man walked by me. And I howdied him real big as he walked by. And I carried on about my business. He walked back and he stood right in front of me. And he said, you. I went, "Uh uh-oh. You are free. So what do you mean? He said, you are free in Christ. I could tell by the welcome your face gave me. I have no idea what we're communicating just with our face. I mean, this face says a lot, but you know what I'm saying. People arrive with feelings. Welcome. Second, words. The Bible tells us this is how we talk with people with words. Let no unwholesome word come from your mouth, but that which is good for edification, that which is fitting for the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. Ephesians 4. That it may give grace to those who hear. That means I don't need something from somebody. 
Because I got what I need from God. But I know what God can give them. And so I want to speak words of life, the gospel to those people. No matter what feelings or failures they arrived with. Next, not just words, but works. First Peter chapter 2 says, Let your behavior among the Gentiles be excellent, in order that in the very thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, on account of the good deeds that they see you do, give glory to God on the day of His arrival. This is the works we do that speak. I'm so proud of you. What you did at the school this past Sunday night, those are works that speak the good, loving grace of God. But we do that in our neighborhoods and in our work. Next, we also have our worries. Listen carefully, and I'm going to finalize with this. Here's our problem. None of this is going to work if we're more worried about people's now and our now than people's eternity and our eternity. None of this is going to work if we're more consumed with our now than our eternity. That's why Jesus is going to tell the gate story next. The gate story follows this because our worries have to be more tied to eternity and eternal rewards and eternal condition than now. Which means that we assess everybody in love because we know where we want everybody to go in eternity. And our worry is, are we helping them find the King and enter the kingdom? Would you bow your head with me? It's possible that you showed up today and you've encountered me and you came with feelings. I don't know what they are. They're probably strong if they lasted maybe over the last week or month or year. Or maybe your feelings are a decade or 30 or 50 or 60 years old. And you came today and your feelings are aching and they're hurting. And nobody seems to care. I want to tell you Jesus cares. He does. And as much as we as a congregation can, we want to care, but we can't care like Jesus. He cares. And you came today with some failures. You did, didn't you? Maybe it was yesterday, maybe it was this morning, maybe it was last night, maybe it was last week, month, year, last decade, but you came with some failures. And some of them you own, and they're stuff you did. And then some of them, other people own, and they did to you. But they have embittered you and hurt you and caused you to flee from God. But I want you to know that God wants you to come. He will appraise you as a sinner. But in that appraisal, He will tell you that He loves you and that He sent Jesus Christ to die for your sins so that He could approve you, not by your deeds, but Jesus' work on the cross, His sinlessness of life, His perfection in death. Jesus would approve you. And then He'll accept you. He'll call you son or daughter. And He would never reject you after that. And then as you come to Him and as you serve Him, He'll applaud you one day. He'll give you appropriate applause for your use of your faith and gifts, time, talent. He will. And that will be lasting applause. But you can only have this through repenting of your sin and placing your faith in Jesus Christ alone. 
And I invite you to do that this morning. That even this moment you would say, God, yes, that's what I want. I want this. My feelings are so powerful, they control me. My failures are so powerful, they control me. The things done to me by others are so powerful, they control me. How can I have any hope? Come to Jesus. That's why He calls it freedom. And He will give you that. Would you come to Him? Even now, pray with me. God, my Creator, You made me. And I sinned against You. And You have appraised me. And I am a sinner. But You have loved me. And You sent Jesus to live perfectly, die perfectly, and to be raised from the dead. And I believe that. And so I repent. I place my faith in Jesus. And I look to Him asking, seeking, and knocking. Forgive me of my sin. Make me your child. Please, God. Now the Bible says if you prayed to Him out of the genuineness of your heart and place your faith in Christ that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved but others of you you've come today you're already saved but the way you've been treating people hmm goodness you know it's wrong it was a spouse or a child or a parent or a friend or a co-worker or somebody you ran into shopping or sporting You didn't care about their feelings or their failings. In fact, you don't care about their faith. And you've let your heart get hard. And would you come today and get that fixed? And just say, Lord, I want to know how to carry out this golden rule. Convict me and change me. As God stirs your heart, would you stand? Would you come? Came sin, who knew no sin, that we might become His righteousness. He humbled Himself and carried the cross. Love so amazing. His love. Jesus Messiah, the name above all names, the blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, the rescue for sin. The ransom from heaven is Jesus Messiah, and He's Lord of all. 
His body the bread, His blood the wine, it was broken and poured out, oh, for love. The whole earth trembled, and the veil was torn, love so amazing, His love so amazing, Jesus Messiah. The name above all names, the blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, the rescue for sinners, the ransom from hell. And he's Lord of all. All our hope is in you, Lord. Sing it to him. All our hope is in you. All our hope is in you. All the glory. Name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, the rescue for sinners, the ransom from festival light the night uh, we had a great turnout I appreciate we couldn't have done it without um, over 50 or 60 volunteers that that I can think of and register